Welcome to Kevin Connor's podcast. This series of messages on the book of Zechariah were recorded in Malaysia a number of years ago. Be sure to get a copy of Kevin's newly released commentaries on the book of Isaiah, the book of Jeremiah and Lamentations, the book of Ezekiel, and the Minor Prophets. Available in paperback and ebook formats from Amazon.com and as immediate PDF downloads from kevinconnor.org forward slash shop. Okay, so let's uh, turn and now go to our final session here. And I'd like just to uh, touch on a few of the high spots on uh, page 11 and page 12. And that will cover the uh, pretty much the visions that we've been looking at here. So page, uh, page 11 and page 12. And then tomorrow we'll... Uh, we're through some of the major spots on the next chapters. Alright, so uh, bottom of page 11, the next vision that we have here is the vision of the flying roll or the uh, flying scroll. So uh, this is found in Zechariah chapter 5 and verses 1 through 4. So uh, we're told, then I turned and raised my eyes. So now you'll notice there's a whole change uh, in the vision so far. So far, so far bringing it all together, the restoration of the city, restoration of the temple, restoration of the priesthood, restoration of the lampstand, and the oil to the light, and so forth. So they're the main things that concern uh, those first few chapters. Now in chapter 5 and chapter 6, we turn uh, to a different direction here, but we will be coming back to Joshua in a moment. So we haven't quite finished with Joshua, the high priest. Uh, there's another prophetic word that comes to him. All right, so in Zechariah chapter 5, uh, verses 1 through to 4 uh, concerns a scroll. So I'll read the new King James on this. Then I turned and raised my eyes and saw there a flying scroll. Flying roll, a flying scroll. All right, on my notes here, a flying roll, flying scroll is actually the prophetic roll or a scroll and symbolic of the prophetic word of God going forth. So flying, rapidity of the word, flying roll, flying prophetic scroll. Symbolic of the prophetic word uh, going forth uh, of my notes here, a roll or scroll upon which the scriptures were written and read in the synagogue. Also the records of the kings uh, written in a scroll. So they would be uh, familiar with that. Uh, put down Ezekiel chapter 2. Ezekiel chapter 2. And in verse, verse 9 and 10, let me, let me just read that uh, to you. Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 9 and 10. Just need a third hand on this. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse uh, 9 and 10. And uh, when the Lord comes to Ezekiel, who's uh, been a prophet in Babylon, uh, we're told in Ezekiel chapter 2, verse 9 and 10. Uh, and when I looked, a hand uh, stretched out to me, behold, a scroll of a book was in it, and he spread it before me. And uh, there was writing on the inside and on the outside, and written on it were lamentations and mourning and woe. So very similar, like John and uh, Ezekiel and Zechariah see this roll or this scroll that we, uh, with the writing of the Word of God on it. Uh, that's the thing that we have, the roll. You've got in your notes there, the book or scroll of the law. And then he said to me, Again, it would be interesting study to go through the book of Zechariah and make a list of all the questions that are there. Here's another question in case you're getting short. And he said to me, what do you see? 
So I answered, I see a flying scroll. Its length is 20 cubits and its width 10 cubits. I'm not sure, I'm sure there's some significance there. 20 by 10 equal 200, so, but I'm not sure what significance it would be. But uh, we can safely say this, 10 is always the number of law and uh, responsibility. So 10 commandments, 10 toes, 10 talents, uh, just uh, number of law, 10 fingers, 10 virgins, uh, so forth. 10 is always the number of, of, of uh, responsibility, it's the number of the law. So Israel was impressed with the 10 commandments, responsible before God. So this is a multiplication of the 10. And if the scroll is like the flying scroll, the scroll of the law, then in verse 3 he says, Then he said to me, This is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. Uh, why? Because if the law is not kept, it brings a curse. So those who do not keep the law brings a curse. So people are uh, uh, self-cursed. They bring a curse on themselves through disobedience. So this is the curse that goes out over the face of the whole earth. So beyond Jerusalem, uh, the whole earth, every thief shall be expelled according to this, to this side of the scroll, and every perjurer shall be expelled according to that side of the scroll. Then he goes on, I will send out the curse, says the Lord of hosts. It shall enter the house of the thief, and the house of the one who swears falsely by my name. So thou shalt not steal, one of the commandments. Do not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, swearing falsely. It shall remain in the midst of his house, and consume it with its timber and stones. In other words, any violation of the law that people do, it just automatically brings a curse. And the uh, book of Proverbs somewhere says, the blessing, is, uh, the blessing of the Lord is in the house of the righteous, but the curse remains in the house of the wicked. So, blessing or cursing in our house according to our obedience to the word of the Lord. All right? So that's the main thing of the vision there. The roll, the book or scroll of the law, uh, let it be the curse on all, all evil workers. And uh, I'm not sure what the significance of the 10 by 20 is, but uh, 10 is the number of the law. Let's go to page 12 now, page 12. And we have the vision of the woman and the ephah. The vision of the woman and the ephah. Now, this is a, a very interesting uh, short vision that uh, uh, Zechariah has here. So let me sort of read the verses and then uh, give you a few additional thoughts here. Uh, from verse 5 through to 11, as in your notes on page 12, we have this vision of the woman and uh, women. It should be women and Ephah, or uh, double, you'll see. All right, verse 5. Then the angel talked with me, came out and said to me, Lift your eyes now and see what is this that goes forth. So what do you think happens next? We've got another question. So, so I ask, what is it? I'm going to do that one day. I'm going to make a list of all the questions this guy asks. This young fellow uh, is just a, a learning prophet. <laughs> so what is it? And he said, it is, it, it is a basket... Uh, that is going forth. He also said this is their resemblance throughout the earth. And you'll notice it's moving from Jerusalem more to the earth in uh, both these uh, small visions. And uh, here is a, a lead disc lifted up and this is a woman sitting inside the basket. Then he said, and then he names the woman wickedness. This is wickedness. And he thrust her down. 
I mean, this is uh, uncanny, really. I mean, here's a woman sitting in the basket. So he thrust her down into the basket and said, pull your head in. Uh, well, something like that. And threw the lead cover over its mouth. Now, something else happens. From this one woman, then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, there were two women coming with the wind in their wings, for they had the wings like the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between earth and heaven. So I said to the angel, talk of me. Another question. Where are they carrying the basket? And he said to me, to build a house for it in the land of Shina, when it is ready, the basket will be set there on its base. All right, now, I want you to go over to, uh, there's a peculiar thing here on this. Let me just uh, turn, I want you to turn over to a scripture in Matthew, chapter, let's see what I've got here, and uh, give you a few thoughts on this. So Matthew chapter 23, I think this is let me find the reference here. Yes, Matthew chapter 20, uh, Matthew 24 it is, Matthew 24. Alright, so now the picture I want you to get, or the, what we've got in the vision here, we've got first of all he sees a woman, and then uh, two women come out of that, and an ephah, and as I've got on your notes on page 12, the ephah is a vessel for measuring merchandise. So that's the thing, a vessel for me measuring merchandise. Now in Matthew chapter 24, uh, Jesus, uh, referring to his coming here, uh, uses an interesting picture. Matthew 24 and verse 41, I think that's what we're after. Uh, he says, two women, and I know that the word woman, women uh, is in italics and has been supplied, but, uh, but the truth is consistent. Verse 40 says, two men will be in the field, one will be taken, the other left. Two women will be grinding at the mill, which was the custom uh, of women grinding out the uh, food. So two women would be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and other left. Now what I've done on this in my studies over the years is that there is a theme right through the Bible. And I think why I'm sort of doing this is because, remember from Genesis through to Zechariah now, that there's only one book to go in the, in the Old Testament, that's Malachi. He's going to come a few years later and finish the Old Testament prophet. Zechariah is the last of the prophets there, just before the final one, Malachi. And it just seems that some thoughts that have been sort of uh, scintillating right through the Bible consummate here in Zechariah chapter 4. Uh, Zechariah, I mean, as far as the Old Testament uh, prophetic are concerned. So, two women. All right, a woman in Scripture is always symbolic of a church. So, you can put that down. So, women always symbolic of a church. And as you've got in your notes there, just before I give you some other scriptures, uh, the woman corrupting and corrupted. And so, uh, a, a, true, a true church is always likened to the bride of Christ, so the true woman. And in Ephesians chapter 5, I'll put these scriptures on your notes here, Revelation chapter 1, the, the, the bride of Christ is likened to a virgin church. And uh, the, uh, in the book of Revelation, the harlot church is likened to a harlot, the wife of Antichrist. So the true woman, type of the bride of Christ, uh, uh, and the harlot woman, the wife of the Antichrist. Okay, now, put down some of these scriptures here because in my own studies over the years, I've done this theme of the two women. Uh, number one, I'll just say number one through to six, just some examples here. Uh, and then, then uh, that will sort of help what we want to say here. Uh, number one, Ezekiel chapter 23 
Ezekiel is given a picture of two women, and these two women become harlots. And when he asks the Lord for the interpretation, no mistake, the Lord tells him, these two women are Israel and Judah. So house of Israel, house of Judah, no mistake about it. He says, these two women are like two harlots, they're two prostitutes, they've sold themselves out to other lovers. And so house of Israel, house of Judah, are like two women, Ezekiel chapter 23. Number two, in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 7, and Proverbs 31, Proverbs 7 and Proverbs 31, you have the theme of the two women. Proverbs 7, you have the harlot woman who uh, entices the young men going by and seduces them and so forth. In Proverbs 31, you have a virtuous woman. Who is a virtuous woman? Her price is more expensive than my wife. Proverbs 31, let's keep you awake this time of day. Okay, so Proverbs 7 is the harlot church, is the prostitute seducing uh, young men and so forth. Proverbs 31 is the virtuous woman, her price is far above rubies. So two women in Proverbs. All right, number three, another illustration of this. See, once, once you see these themes, and they, in my thinking, they consummate and Zechariah in the Old Testament, particularly Malachi being the last of the prophets, and he's on a different uh, stream, pointing to the coming Lord. Uh, number three, uh, with all the parables that Jesus told, he told many, many parables, he only told two parable, parables about women. Matthew chapter 13, 33, is the parable of the woman who took leaven, and hid it in three measures of meal till the whole was corrupted. Without taking time to prove why I, why I say what I do, why I believe what I do, I believe that's referring to a harlot church because she takes leaven, corrupting doctrine, and uh, corrupts and influences the whole three measures of meal, the revelation of the total Godhead and the Bible. So corrupting, she hides it. You don't hide the gospel. Those who have done key knowledge similar, you may just... Turn your minds back to that one. And then the other parable Jesus gave, Luke chapter 15, Luke 15, verse 8 to 11, Luke 15, verse 8 to 11, it's a parable of the woman who lost the coin. And according to custom, apparently she needed the 10 coins uh, to be ready for the wedding and been given to her by her prospective bridegroom and she'd lost one of the coins that she needed for a wedding according to some of the uh, uh, customs there. So that's Luke 15, verses 8 to 11. So that represents the true bride of Christ, so a harlot church and bride of Christ, two women. And then uh, number four here, another illustration. Once you get it, you can see the, uh, get the drift. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 3. So this is number four illustration. 1 Kings chapter 3. In the time of Solomon, and these are just bad girls, Remember the two women who came before Solomon and one had rolled on her baby in the night and switched the baby over? Uh, how many think it was a real word of wisdom when Solomon said, uh, well, I'll tell you what, we'll settle this argument easy. Bring me a sword and we'll chop the live baby in half and you can have half a baby each. How many think that was a real word of wisdom? Yes. How many don't think it was? How many are not sure? How many are not going to get caught? It was a word of wisdom because what it did, it exposed the heart of both the women. 
was the bad girl, really, really bad girl, said, yes, yeah, seriously, kill her, let's have no baby. But the heart of the, the true mother said, look, I'd rather have her have the live baby than have two dead babies, and exposed the heart. That was a real word of wisdom. So, but don't try it. <laughs> don't try it in your church or you will be dead meat. I'll, I'll visit you in prison. Um, yeah, uh, uh, number, where are we up to? Number five. Okay, just uh, a couple more here. Uh, number five, in Abraham's household, two women, Sarah and Hagar. And were there problems between those two girls? So, uh, two women in Abraham's household, Genesis 16 and Genesis 21. So, Sarah and Hagar, problem between two women. And then uh, the last one here is uh, in the book of Revelation, there are two women in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 12, which we believe is the uh, church is the bride of Christ, clothed with the sun, the moon, and the stars, Revelation 12, and then uh, Revelation chapter 17, the great harlot church, so two women. So just using that as an illustration, Jesus said two women will be grinding at the field, one will be taken, one will be left. So in the book of Revelation, we see uh, the woman in Revelation 12 taken into the wilderness and preserved over that period of time of three and a half years. Then in Revelation 17, we see the other woman left to destruction by the ten kings. So just that theme of the two women. Now, let's go back to, um, to uh, uh, Zechariah chapter 5. And uh, this, this now is something that's really interesting here that uh, you can, uh, can uh, miss by just surface reading it. All right, now, in, in verse 5, which we read, he lifts up his eyes and seeing. And whenever you see that expression, it's often you see, lift up your eyes. It's like, okay, lift up your eyes, open your eyes and see. It's, a, it's further vision coming, further revelation. So uh, he sees this basket uh, going, across my mind, it says... Uh, Basket, uh, doesn't seem to say much. Okay, uh, basket had an asterisk there. Uh, yeah, what's a, a measuring container? Okay, basket measuring container. All right, now, peculiar vision is in the, the lead, uh, he said, here's a lead disc lifted up, and there's a woman sitting in the basket. So you'll notice it becomes, it's one woman at the first, and then. He raised his eyes and looked. Now there were two women. So it's just this theme of the two women. And uh, you'll notice uh, with coming with the wind in their wings, and notice they did not have the wings of an eagle. Now the woman in Revelation 12 is given the wings of a great eagle. And God likens himself to a great eagle. And he says to Israel, uh, I brought you, when I brought you out of Egypt, I brought you on eagle's wings unto myself. And those that wait upon the Lord uh, will mount up like uh, uh, on wings of an eagle and uh, will exchange our strength like an eagle. So an eagle is used uh, often in positive sense in relation to God and to the believers. Just, uh, you've just got to watch, watch for the backbiters that they don't pick your fingers out. <laughs> or they're all in Australia. Okay, now, a stork. Uh, do you do this here? I mean, it amuses me because... Uh, whenever a baby, not whenever, but often when a baby is delivered in Australia, you, uh, people send you a postcard or a congratulation card, and it has the picture of a stork, which is an unclean bird, and its wings. 
So don't, I mean, we, we will never have family, of course, my wife and I, you know. But uh, don't ever send me a card with a stork on it. Because <laughs> a stork's a dirty bird. Right? And so this has the wings of a stork. It's an unclean bird. So, okay, get the picture. This woman, her name is wickedness. And out of the one woman comes two women. And it's bad news. Wings of a stork, not the wings of an eagle. It's a dirty bird. And according to the law, a stork was a dirty bird. So don't feed on that little thing. Now, here's the peculiar thing. So the wind is in the wings of this uh, st uh, the stork, like the wings of a stork, and in this basket, carrying this woman and the two women. So they lifted up the basket. So it's a peculiar thing. So woman, wickedness, and then two women, and they've got uh, stork-like wings, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and earth, and then, his next question, where are they taking the basket? Now listen to verse 11, because this is the peculiar thing. And he said to me, to build a house in the, uh, for it in the land of Shinar. Now in your margin, those of you who haven't, in the land of Babylon. Now to me, this is one of the greatest proofs of Babylon being rebuilt. Remember, the Babylon captivity has ended. They're under the Medo-Persian Empire. And if you go back to Genesis chapter... Genesis chapter... Somewhere. I have it here. Anyway, Genesis chapter either 10 or 11, you'll find... Uh, Genesis 10, is it? All right, Genesis 10. You'll find that the Tower of Babel was built in the plain of Shinar. So though Babylon spawned, Zachariah seeing something that these two women are going to go back to Shinar and build a house like a tower and set it on her own base, on its own foundation. So I've done this far more fully in the uh, in the uh, on Revelation. So uh, what what we see is the same, same, just the same thing again, the same uh, theme that we have running through. So you would just do this uh, picture again. How, how many think I'm a little bit fanatical? <laughs> so, yes. And uh, it's just uh, something I feel the Lord's given me that when I, when I do study the Word, I generally, I mean, this is a fixation with me, I admit that, I generally, generally see things right from Genesis right through to Revelation. So if you take this whole thing of uh, Babylon, uh, this is the picture I've done. So you've got Genesis, uh, the beginning of Babylon, Genesis chapter 10 and 11, and confusion of tongues and everything like that. So the beginning, the foundation. Next mention of Babylon is found in Joshua, where Achan took a Babylonian garment and a wedge of gold, and it brought death on him and his family. Then as you go through the Bible, when you get to Daniel, Daniel is at its height. Uh, uh, I mean, ba Babylon is at its height, and it has a fall. But somewhere in the prophecies of Isaiah and uh, Jeremiah, there are some prophecies that never were fulfilled in the fall of Babylon. And Isaiah says that Babylon's going to fall and uh, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give a light, the constellations will fall, and Babylon will be overthrown uh, as Sodom and Gomorrah uh, with fire and brimstone. And so the prophets talk about something. So people say, well, Kevin, when Babylon fell, uh, God said they'd never rebuild anything or never take a stone. The Arabians would not dwell there because of fear and superstition. But say, no, uh, Babylon fell and there was no sun darkened when uh, 
Babylon fell, and uh, Belshazzar, the sun wasn't dark, and the moon didn't uh, turn dark, the stars didn't fall. Babylon was taken just overnight as the media person soldiers came up the riverbed. So none of the prophecies uh, in Isaiah, most of the prophecies, I'll put it that way, in Isaiah were not fulfilled in the fall of Babylon, which shows it's pointing to another one. So as you go right through, so we have the fall of Babylon there taken, so secretly, silently almost, and then when you come to 1 Peter chapter 5, Peter talks about, 1 Peter 5 I think it is, he talks about the church, which is at Babylon, and uh, you either spiritualize it, or the Roman church says the church of Babylon is the church of Rome, but then you get to the ultimate of it all, in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, and in Revelation chapter 17 and 18, the things that are prophesied in Isaiah and Jeremiah, particularly in Isaiah, all take place here in the end time Babylon. Now, after Daniel, the fall here, we've got this prophecy of Zechariah, what chapter is it? Zechariah, uh, what chapter are we looking at? Chapter 5, is that right? Yeah, chapter 5. Here he is seeing a vision of two women, one woman, out of one comes the two, and they're going back to the land of Shinar, which brings you back to Genesis, and they're going to build a house there and set it on its own base, its own foundation. So it's one of those scriptures that point to an end-time Babylon. So I believe for the years that uh, Babylon would be rebuilt, and just so let me uh, just read a little bit off my notes. Way back in 1971, that's a long time ago, and over my years I've been collecting so much material on this thing, and even where Japan actually offered years ago to rebuild the Hanging Gardens for Babylon. So let me just read this one from way, way back here. Uh, in the Herald, Friday the 17th, 1971, Melbourne, there appeared an article in which was stated that the Tower of Babylon may soon rise again over the dusty plain once known as Mesopotamia. The Iraqi government is considering plans to rebuild part of the ruins of Babylon, including a 295-foot tower. The plan is in three parts. Number one, conservation of the existing ruins, uh, particularly to protect them from the effects of underground water. Number two, reconstruction. First phase is to rebuild the tower and sections of the city walls and gateways. The hanging gardens might be recreated later. Uh, desalinization, a long-term pro uh, project uh, to combat salt which attacks the brickwork, end quote. And then, um, uh, as I told you, Japan offered to rebuild the hanging gardens. That's years ago. And as I recommended the other day, if you can get hold of this book by Dyer, and uh, the, it's in the bibliography of Revelation that is well worth you reading because it brings you way up to date. So over the years, I've just been collecting from way back 1971, all the information, amazing, that's coming out. And even some of the Orthodox Jews believe that once Babylon is rebuilt again, that this is an indication of the coming of the Messiah. And so they, they see, some of the Orthodox Jews just see a great connection between those things. So I think that's a very significant thing. Though Babylon has fallen, yet Zachariah is seeing something where these two women are flying. So it's the theme of the two women. All right, so I recommend that you try and get hold of that book and that brings you very up to date to how much of, uh, of, uh, of it has been rebuilt. In fact, uh, maybe while I'm just on that, uh, one of the questions I have here, maybe could fit in here. 
two or three questions. We know God is sovereign, yes, and we know, also know that men are created with a free will to, cho uh, to choose. There are notes on Daniel. Uh, uh, Paris says that God rules in the affairs of men and that earthly kings, presumably including all forms of governments, only rule under God's delegated authority in relation to the foregoing statements. Uh, the questions, did God raise up Hitler of Germany, Stalin of Soviet Russia, Mayor of China, Saddam Hussein of Iraq, and many other so-called leaders who have committed so much atrocity against mankind? All right, uh, I, I believe that because God is sovereign, we don't get into fatalism here. Over the years, I mean, like even Pharaoh, who was just a uh, uh, guilty of infanticide, killing babies, how many babies were slaughtered in the river, uh, Nile there. And God says, I've raised Pharaoh up for this purpose, that my name might be glorified him. So God did raise Pharaoh up for a purpose. Pharaoh would not come to repentance, he would not respond. So God zapped him. He baptized him in the Red Sea and held him under. <laughs> it didn't bring him up. So, so I do believe that God permits and sees, uh, you know, I think a certain amount of truth, that we often get the type of government we deserve. And so God sometimes raises up these leaders in his sovereignty, but he puts them down too. So he raised up Nebuchadnezzar, he raised up Pharaoh, and through the Bible we find raising, even though they were evil men. He used uh, Caesar to, uh, and, and Prince Titus to deal with Jerusalem. And uh, so, like the, the next question, the lesson, did God raise up the elected government? Some are democratically elected, some are not, which are represented in the disunited, in the disunited the, the United Nations. Yet we have to realize that overall, God is sovereign. And uh, so I know when we vote in Australia for our, our prime minister or our governors, we always pray, Lord, you're sovereign. And we just pray, Lord, that with all the voting that you'll overrule and you can move. Turn, turn, turn over to something and uh, uh, that comes to me while I'm on this here. Uh, turn over to Revelation chapter 17. And I think it's Revelation, yeah, Revelation 17 and uh, some verse there. And there's a fine line on all this that we don't get into fatalism because people say, well, if God's predestined it, what will be, will be. Uh, listen to yeah, uh, Revelation 17, 17, just while I'm on this. Revelation 17, 17, it says, For God, referring to the ten horns now on this beast, and uh, who the ten horns, they hate the old girl. <laughs> Let's be a little bit more kind. They hate the woman who's sitting on, her, on them and subduing her, the harlot church. So this political thing gets rid of the religious thing. So they buck the little old girl up. Thank you, Kevin. And uh, yeah, for God had put in their hearts to fulfill His will and to agree and give their kingdom unto the beast until the words of God shall be fulfilled. And the woman which you saw in the great city is that great city which reigns over the kings of the earth, which is Babylon. So I want to know that God has put it in their hearts to fulfill His purpose, to fulfill His will, and to be of one mind, New King James, and give their kingdom. So I believe in the sovereignty of God, even though people have a free will, God can still drop it in their hearts to fulfill His will. They may not even realize, but God can do it. How many believe that? Some of us do. Okay? So God can do it. And then... The next question sort of relates to that too. Uh, in recent events, did God raise up uh, Bush to bring down President Saddam Hussein? Uh, 
yeah, please, please take this kind of without any uh, any fanaticism here. What I what I see in the Bible is that God often uses nations to deal with nations. Then in turn he deals with that nation. So God used the Assyrian nation as his rod and his battle axe, we're told in Isaiah. He used it to deal with the nation of Israel, Assyrian captivity. Then, because of the idolatry, and you know, so serious, so sinful was the house of Judah that did you know that God told Jeremiah, don't even pray for the people and don't make intercession for them? Now when God tells a prophet not even to pray, that shows how bad they become. So God said to Jeremiah, he said, even if Samuel, that's Jeremiah chapter 15, verse 1 and 2, if you're looking at me like a cow looking at the new gate. Yeah, God said, even if Samuel, Moses and Samuel stood before me, I would not even hear their prayers. I would not be intrigued. And therefore, don't you pray for them. So three of the greatest prophetic intercessors in the Bible, Moses, Samuel, and Jeremiah. And God said, even if they stood before me, I wouldn't even listen. And Jeremiah, don't you pray. So God said, don't pray for the people. Don't make intercession. So that's really serious when God tells a prophet not to pray. And Jeremiah is the prophet of the Babylon captivity. So what I'm saying here is that God used Babylon to deal with the house of Judah. Then he used Medo-Persia to deal with Babylon. Then he used Greece to deal with uh, Medo-Persia. He used Rome to deal with Greece. And he used, maybe in the First World War, who dealt with Hitler and his murders. See? So how many hear what I'm saying? He said, I believe that over the bubble, God does use nations to deal with nations. Then in turn, he judges. Now, I don't know, but uh, sometimes I think even in the present situation, with U.S. and Iraq, uh, America, the best of the worst, comes out from the U.S. Yeah. And somewhere down the line, God is going to deal with America because yeah. of all the filth and the abominable pornography that's flooding the world from the U.S. The best of the world comes out of that nation. So it's headed for judgment. So in Australia, some of the things are happening with the whole sodomite marriages and all these things. We are being plagued. And you see, the Bible tells us when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness. But let grace be shown, they will not learn. How many remember that verse? So I believe God's judgments are in the earth. You have your areas, but you've got some good qualities. Keep out the pornography. We have enough hellishness in the home. So, yeah, so answering that question, without getting into fatalism, anything, I believe God does. So we have to trust the sovereignty of God without getting into fatalism. Okay, thank you, Kevin, for that little side glance there. as uh, an interesting point. All right, let's just for our last number of moments now uh, go back here. So rebuilding a balance and God can put it into the hearts of men to fulfill his will. So I know when we vote, always pray, Lord, you're in heaven. There's these different guys running for position, but you just put it in the hearts of people to fulfill your will and put the man in office that you want to so that uh, the church can be free to preach the word, minister the word, and so forth. All right, so on your note, page 12, as we're coming for our last number of moments, he said, the vision of the woman at Ephah, the Ephah vessel for measuring merchandise, so uh, commercial, political Babylon, uh, something in mind there, the woman, Corrupting and corrupted, the two women. I've given you some scriptures there. True woman is the type of the bride of Christ. 
uh, he who is too evil woman, it looks like, the harlot woman, and they're going to Shinar to Babylon, and you've got just some chapters there. There's some chapters in Isaiah 47, 48, and Isaiah 11, and so forth, where Babylon is to fall, but they would be destroyed like Sodom and Gomorrah, and would never be, be, be rebuilt again. So you don't see that until Revelation chapter 17 and 18. Revelation 17 is the woman Babylon, ecclesiastical religious Babylon. Revelation 18 is the city Babylon, commercial political Babylon. So they're both there, and uh, it all happens at the second coming of the Lord. All right, for our last number of moments, let's go to uh, vision 12 on the bottom of page, uh, page 12 here. Here we have the vision of four chariots, and horses and prophecies. So very similar to what we've already uh, looked at in chapter one. Uh, so chapter six, let's just take a few thoughts here as we uh, finish here. Oh, yeah, I need to, need to finish this. Okay, we've got a few minutes. So in uh, chapter six, verse one, I turned and raised my eyes and looked and behold, four chariots uh, coming from between two mountains. Mountains were mountains of bronze, so symbolism here, it's visionary, bronze always judgment, so his feet like brass, the brazen altar, judgment against sin. First chariot were red horses, uh, the uh, second chariot black horses, third chariot white horses, fourth chariot dappled horses, strong steeds. So very similar to what we have in the book of Revelation, so in Revelation helped us on this, four horses, four horsemen of judgment, Red, speaking of war, black speaking of famine, uh, white in the book of Revelation, I believe, speaks of revival, and the bay or the speckled horse, the pale horses, uh, speaking of pestilence and so forth. So uh, different colors representing various judgments of God. So Zechariah is given a vision of four horses and chariots applicable to the time they're present, but also having fulfillment in our present time. Okay, so let me say that again from here. Red horses, uh, symbol of bloodshed. So red horses, symbol of bloodshed, war, and devastation. Black horses, symbol of famine and sorrows. And you can compare them with the four horses in the book of Revelation. So black horses, symbol of famine and sorrows. White horses, symbol of victory and joy. White horses, generally it's always associated with white and uh, you know generally we see through history there's always been war and revival or revival and war. If we went back and you know I've got another study there you find there was the Boer War and then there was an outpouring of the spirit then you have 1906 outpouring of the spirit then 1914 to 18 the first war then you have 1939 to 45 war the 1948 visitation. It just seems right through church history, God either, uh, it's either preceded by revival or, and war, or else war and then revival. Uh, and that's Israel's history. I mean, God said uh, the, the northern kingdom would come down on Israel, and I think it's references to Gog and Magog. And uh, just interestingly, by the way, I got uh, pictures of where Russia, many, many years ago, sold pencils throughout the world, and on all the pencils they had Gog and Magog. Then I got another picture where Russia put out a stamp of four horsemen covered with clouds, 
and the first horseman had a red flag and in the, in the stamp and they were riding down to the Middle East. So I kept it. I thought, that's very interesting in the light of Ezekiel 38 39 chapters. All of them riding on horses coming from North Gog and Magog towards Israel. So these identifications that I've been collecting over my hundred years <laughs> all seem to be pointing to something when people give themselves away. So when Russia puts out pencils, Gog and Magog, and a stamp with four horsemen riding down towards Israel, and the first one has a flag, and it's covered with clouds. That's all the language of those chapters. Every think you give yourself away? Yeah, so, you know. So, uh, and then bay horses, speckled horses, a uh, mixture of good and evil. Okay, so very similar there. Turn, turn over to, uh, we've just got a, a few more minutes here, and then some of you are getting bleary-eyed, and ready to lay before the Lord <laughs> and come to visions and revelations. <laughs> How many would like to be in my place, okay? Have to do five sessions like this. Why don't you get to 76? Okay. Turn over to uh, the book of Ezekiel just for our last moments. Uh, Ezekiel. Yeah, Ezekiel chapter 14. So remember four is always the number verse, so we're looking at the vision of four chariots and horsemen and prophecies, red, white, black, and bay. And you have to always remember what I've been saying. So Ezekiel 14, while I'm talking, what did it mean to them then? As they're listening to Zechariah, what did it mean to them? And how can we apply application? So observation, interpretation, then application. Now we've got to always keep that threefold chord in mind. So uh, Ezekiel chapter 14, we alluded to this the other day, but I want you to notice the use of the four, and it's the same thing, whether we use four horses or whatever, it's the, this number four and God's judgment. So go to, put down for your notes verse 12 through, to, uh, 12 through to 22, and I'll just surface read it so we uh, stick to our schedule. So Ezekiel 14 and verse 12, the word... When the Lord came again to me, saying, Son of man, when a land sins against me by persistent unfaithfulness or trespassing grievously, I will stretch out my hand against it, I will cut off its supply of bread, send famine on it, cut off man and beast from it. Even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job, looked at that the other day, were in it, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness, says the Lord God. If I cause wild beasts to pass through the land and they empty it, make it so desolate that no man may pass through because of the beast, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they were delivered neither sons nor daughters, only they would be delivered, and the land would be desolate. Or if I bring a sword of that land and say, sword, go through the land, uh, and I will cut off man and beast from it, even though these three men were in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither sons nor daughters, uh, but only they themselves would be delivered. Or, if I send a pestilence into that land and pour out my fury on it in blood, cut off from it man and beast, even though Noah, Daniel and Job in it, as I live, says the Lord God, they would deliver neither son nor daughter, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. Now, punchline, verse 21. For thus says the Lord God, how much more it shall be when I send, mark your Bible, my four sore judgments, on Jerusalem. Four sore judgments. What are they? The sword, the famine, the wild beast, the pestilence. 
four saw judgment. So you'll notice through Zechariah, we've been looking at the four judgment, four horses, four horses, the four seals which have horses. So this number four, the number of, of, the, of, of the earth, number four, always pertaining to so God's four saw judgments. And quoting Isaiah did before, when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world will learn righteousness, but let grace be shown, they will not learn. So people learn the hard way. All right, back to Zechariah as we come into a land, landing, and uh, fixing our safety belts. Okay, so um, in uh, Zechariah chapter 6, after he sees the red horses, the black horses, the white horses, the grizzled bay horses, the dapple horses, um, then I answered and said unto the angel that talk with me. What comes next? Another question. What are these, my Lord? <laughs> oh, Zechariah, don't you know anything, young man? Yeah. And the angel answered and said, listen to the interpretation. These are the four spirits of the heavens. So horses likened the spirits. These are the four spirits of the heavens worldwide which go forth from standing before the Lord of all the earth. Then notice what he says here. The black horses which are therein, they go forth to the north country. Now who was in the north at this time? Babylon, Medo Persia, and uh, you know if we apply today, who's in the north today? Isn't it, this is always interesting to me. We think of Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar, Russia, the Tsars. <laughs> I mean, where did they all come from? The Tsars in the north? You know, trace it back a few years. It could be true. What do we realize? So the black horses, they go to the north. And then uh, the north country. And the white go forth after them. Same. And the grizzled, or the dappled, they go toward the south country. Now you, you've just got to think in what, you know, the tough things we looked at in Daniel. King of the south, king of the north, you know, all this type of thing. The black horses, okay, they go. And the bay went forth and sought to go, uh, that they may walk to and fro through the earth. So they're just free, go anywhere. And he said, get to your heads, go walk to and fro throughout the earth. So they walked to and fro throughout the earth, and he called me and spoke to me, saying, See, those who go toward the north country have given rest to my spirit in the north country. So uh, these spirits, represented by symbolically by horses, going forth in different directions as the Lord in his sovereignty directs them. Okay, now we want to pick up verse 9 through the 15 tomorrow morning as we continue on. Okay, have you had a good day today? Have you understood these things? Heavies, heavies, heavies. One more day, the last day of the feast, so get a good night tonight. Come uh, right and early in the morning. Look forward to seeing this. So let's all stand together. Let's lift our hands again to the Lord. Let's thank the Lord for another good day and quickening us. Thank you, Father. Father, we just lift our hands, acknowledging you, Lord, in act of surrender, that you are so great and uh, your word is so inexhaustible. We just acknowledge once again, Lord, the more we know, the less we know. Lord, your word, inspired by the Holy Spirit, every word is like a seed, Lord. 
But we thank you, Lord. We just pray, Lord, uh, that you said, man will not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. May this be our life, Lord. May us make us victorious believers in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. So let your blessing be upon us all. We thank you for a good day together. Thank you for quickening us. Uh, we pray you'll continue to bless us for our final day. Give us a good evening tonight. And we give you all the praise and glory in the wonderful name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And everybody said, Amen. We hope you've enjoyed today's teaching. Visit kevinconnor.org for more information.